Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Politics by Faith. Mike Slater, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully the previous episode we did changed your thinking in a tiny way. Welcome back to it. Welcome back to the grind. Glad to be here. Happy warrior as well. If you're new to the show, the point of us being here is that the news is causing too much anxiety and, and everyone's doom scrolling and just bombarded with awful news all the time. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> so what we do is we, we take the news of the day because we also don't want to check out. So we want to be engaged. So we want to know what the news of the day is. Then we uh, break it down, lament it, lament, lament the brokenness, which is an important part of the process. Then provide some historical perspective because there's nothing new under the sun and then some biblical truth to go along with it. And then hopefully all that anxiety will wash away. So that's uh, the mission. And I'm glad you're here. So now that we've done all the giving of thanks, Let's buy more stuff. That's the story of the day. Americans spent $9.1 billion online on Black Friday. This is online. I guess they don't, uh, no more stories of people lining up at midnight outside of stores, are there? Remember that? Remember people literally camping outside and people trampling over each other for the last Tickle Me Elmo? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to rip your hair out, lady. For that tickle me elbow. I guess we don't do that anymore. Not because we're better people, but because we're doing all of our shopping on our couch, on our phones now. People still spending money. That was just Friday. When I first heard that number 9.12, I just assumed that was like, like I don't know. Like, see, Black Friday is not even a day anymore. It's, it's, it lasts all month. It's more of an idea now, isn't it? So I, just, I thought that's what, like Black Friday, 9.12 billion for the last couple of weeks. It was just a day. One day, $9 billion. Cyber Monday is supposed to be even more. More people spending money on, on Monday. Wait, I thought we were in a recession. Not only that, I thought people's biggest concern was the economy. High price of gas, record inflation, all that stuff. So yes, people have those, those concerns. And we spend tens of billions of dollars on stuff. The day after Thanksgiving, no less. The day we give thanks for all we have. We go to bed, wake up, buy more. So I'm just, I'm very confused. How are people paying for all this stuff? So what's going on here? How about this fact? Buy now, pay later. Have you heard of this? Buy now, pay later. Those types of purchases increased 78% of Black Friday week compared to the week prior. 78% increase. So people are paying for all this stuff on credit. 37% of Americans plan to use financing, whether it's a personal loan or credit card or buy now, pay later uh, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hold on, right? So it's 37% of Americans. Last year, it was 34% of Americans. BNPL, you may see that acronym, BNPL, buy now, pay later. And maybe when you've bought something online, you've seen uh, Affirm. Have you ever seen this before? It says pay with Affirm 
or Afterpay, or there's another company called like Klarna or something like that. So these are like, uh, and PayPal has a version of this too, but you just pay in these installments. Generally how these work, you pay 25% of the items price up front, and then you pay the rest off in six weeks and you pay every two weeks over six weeks. And they don't charge you for that. They don't charge you any interest like a credit card would. Well, they don't charge you, the customer, any interest. The business model of these companies that are thriving, by the way, the business model is the company pays a firm money, 30% on every transaction. So let's say you go to, um, I don't know, you buy a TV. The TV con and you and you use a firm to pay for it. The TV company pays a firm 30% of the price of the TV because their thinking is, well, maybe that person wouldn't have bought it at all if it wasn't for this ability to pay over installments. So they thank a firm. So the TV company gives a firm 30% of the money. So a firm makes money that way. And a firm makes money on late fees. So if you don't pay every two weeks and they charge you a couple bucks extra, and that's how they make money. So that's the business model. And these companies are making a ton of money. I get like, it's really no different than the old infomercial model, I suppose. This can be yours for four low payments of $19.99. That's a lot better than $79.96. I can't afford $79.96, but I can afford $19.99. 72% of the users of BNPL, buy now, pay later, 72% of people who do it are millennials or Gen Z. And this is just a brilliant way to get more of your money. <laughs> My dad always told me it's really hard to get people to give you their money. It's hard to do that. This makes it a lot easier. Now, I'm sure if used wisely, like many things, I'm sure it can be a, a good tool. And maybe this is better than credit cards with, you know, 30% interest rates. But generally, having a country where everyone's buying things they can't afford can't be healthy. And I don't hear anyone talking about it. I just hear people celebrating, perhaps, that that many people are buying that much stuff. And that means the economy is great. And I'm just like, uh, I don't, I don't know. We have a record number of people not working at all. Highest inflation in 50 years and people spending more than ever before. Now you think, oh, well, maybe they're spending more because inflation's higher. It's like, ah, yeah, maybe that's part of it. And it's not just the rich that are spending more. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about a 15,000 square foot penthouse condo in Miami for $90 million. <laughs> Jeez. So there's always going to be those people. But this is everyone else. And you would think, or I, I would think, that with the economy the way it is, the uncertainty, people would be buying nothing. Nothing at all. You'd think we'd all be hunkering down, spend as little money as possible to make ends meet. But that's, that's not it at all. You know, in the depression, the expression was use it up, wear it up, make do or do without. Use it up, wear it up, make do or do without. No one's doing that today. Have you ever heard anyone come up with a pithy expression like that? Use it up, wear it out, make do or do without. My favorite example of that was these flour bags, flour like to bake with. These flour companies noticed that women would reuse the bags, the cotton bags, to make dresses for them and their kids. So companies started making bags, the cotton flour bags with designs on them and also washable ink. So you would buy your bag of flour, use the flour in the bag, then wash it overnight so that the, the uh, brand ink, like the brand name ink on it, it's like Slater's Flour Company, like that would wash off. And then you'd be left 
with a beautiful cotton fabric that you could reuse into a dress or a shirt. It's brilliant. I love that. That's a true story. And what a metaphor for Americans during the Depression and World War II. That's who we were then versus today, which is buy as much as possible all the time. And if you can't afford it, don't worry. Just extend it over six payments. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Maybe the difference between now and the Depression era was the credit card. Is that because there was no credit card during the Depression? And maybe if there was, maybe if there was a credit card, everyone still would have bought a ton of stuff all the time because they could. But the credit card wasn't invented until 1950. It was uh, there was a businessman who went out to dinner and he forgot his wallet. So he came up with this card. It's called the Diners Club card. And you use the card and you pay it later, but you had to pay it at the end of the month. So there wasn't really, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a credit card like we know it today. Like you had to pay it at the end of the month called the Diners Club. Uh, and obviously only restaurants. It wasn't until the 60s when you could really carry a credit over time. By the way, do you hear my son? He's back from the NICU. I'm holding him now. Hey, Jamesy, say hi. He's making baby noises. He's about to fall asleep. Uh, so Life Magazine, 1970. They ran a story called A Little Gift from Your Friendly Banker. <laughs> a little tongue-in-cheek. Not friendly. A, a banker who wants your money. And it's about how banks would mail out, they were mailing out these credit cards to people who they knew weren't paying their bills on time so that they could make a ton of money off them. Uh, here's the opening line. American banks have mailed more than 100 million credit cards to unsuspecting citizens of the Republic during the last four years and have offered each recipient not only a handful of instant cash, but a dreamy method of buying by signature after the lettuce runs out, the soberest of trust institutions now suggest that we forget those strictures, like instructions on thrift, with which they belabored us so vigorously in the past, and live better by refusing to settle for second best. So forget those lifelong lessons of thrift. Now go spend. This means that our friendly banker hopes we will run up credit card bills we cannot pay off in 25 days and will allow him to charge us 18% a year on the resultant debt. So it was 1970, and they're saying, I don't know if these credit cards are such a good idea. <laughs> During the Depression, when people weren't making as much money, they didn't, they didn't do as much stuff anymore. They didn't go to the movies, for instance. It was too expensive. Between 1929 and 1934, one-third of the movie theaters closed. Today, we would just put it on credit because we have to keep our standard of living what it is, no matter what. I mean, you're thinking, doesn't this make 
the economy a giant house of cards built on a foundation of debt? Yes. Yes, it does. Credit card debt, first quarter of this year, $841 billion. That's $71 billion more than the last year. The average cardholder, $6,000 in credit card debt. 49% of Americans depend on credit cards to cover essential living expenses, whatever that means. But I don't know what, I don't know what people determine essential living expenses, right? Maybe that's the question. What is that to you? Is it food or is it 10 trips to the restaurant every week? Your favorite restaurant, right? What's, this, what's an essential living expense? I don't know. 61% of Gen Z, 53% of millennials use credit cards for living expenses. So how many of those people really need credit cards for living expenses? Or how many of those people don't know how to budget for actual living expenses and spend a ton of money on Black Friday for non-essential things? And then at the end of the month, say, darn it, I'm out of money for essentials. I guess I'll have to put it on the credit card now. But it's this type of stuff that gets headlines like, this is, this is two days after Thanksgiving, Market Watch. I believe the economy is the biggest bubble in world history, says Rich Dad, Poor Dad's Robert Kiyosaki. God have mercy on us all. Now, Kiyosaki's been a doomsday guy for a long time. He's been predicting that the collapse will happen tomorrow for many, many days, <laughs> many years. And he's really always been wrong. But one day he won't. There's plenty of doomsday headlines. Axios collapse in home prices is coming, experts say. All the rest. So well, what's so you wouldn't like that's the story. The story is everyone says the economy's bad and and like I'm hurting and you know prices are up and and we're spending more money than we've ever spent before. Huh? So what's really going on here? Covetousness. Oh, it's a fun word to say. Say it. Covet seriously, say it. covetousness. Covetousness. Covet you didn't say it out loud, say it out loud. It's fun. Covetousness. The Bible's pretty clear. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. But I want that thing that someone else has. I want it. I need it. Yeah, don't do that. The problem is we covet all the time. I got a lot of Charles Spurgeon quotes that I'm going to give you today because he gave an amazing sermon on this. Please Google it. It's called A Lesson and a Fortune for Christian Men of Business in 1886. Could have been this last Sunday. It's so perfect. First point he makes is, just like you don't need to plant weeds, you don't need to till the field and fertilize the ground to grow weeds. Same thing with the covetousness that's in you. It's natural. You don't need to work at it. Contentment is what's not natural. Covetousness is natural. So if you want to be content, you need to actively fight against the covetousness. You don't have to teach people how to complain. You don't have to raise your kids teaching them to want more toys or want the things their friends have. That's all natural. That, that all comes naturally. Contentment is the difficult thing. And that's what's tricky about it. It's so natural. Covetousness is so natural that almost no one knows when they're coveting. Most people would say they don't covet. Spurgeon said he asked a Catholic friend of his why so many people confess to the priest uh, all types of horrible sins, adultery, drunkenness, murder, but no one's ever confessed the sin of covetousness. It's one of the top 10. It's a thou shalt not, right? It's right there. Like, like don't, thou shalt not covet. Clearly, it's a thing that people do, but no one ever confesses to the sin of covetousness. Why not? Spurgeon says, I asked this friend whether you could tell me 
why it was, and he gave me this answer, which certainly did make me take me rather aback. He said, I suppose it is because the sin is so extremely rare. Oh, blind soul. I told him that on the other hand, I feared the sin was so very common that people did not know when they were covetous and that the man who was most covetous of all was the last person to suspect himself of it. He thought the sin was too rare. <laughs> Truth is, it's too common. No one confesses their covetousness, not because they're not, but because they don't even, they don't even see it. It's a snake which can enter at the smallest opening. And you say, oh, but Slater, I'm just trying to earn money for my family. I need to work hard to earn money. It's like, yeah, yes, it's fine to make money, of course. But there's a razor's edge, razor's edge between, as Spurgeon says, diligence in business and greediness for gain. He said, I once thought that a million dollars would satisfy any mortal man. But I've been assured by one who has considerable experience in that direction, that he who has one million is unable to see any reason why he should not have two or ten. Everyone, no matter how much money you make, says that they need a little bit more to be happy. If you make 50000 ask anyone who makes $50,000 how much they need to be happy, they'll say 70000 Ask anyone with 70000 they'll say 90000 Ask anyone with 90000 they'll say 100000 Ask anyone with 100000 they'll say 150000 Ask anyone with 150000 they'll say 300000 It goes on and up and down, right? Ask anyone with a million, they'll say, oh, I'll really be happy if I have two million. We'll just go on forever. Got to spend more. And if you spend more, you got to make more. Why do you got to make more? Because I got to spend more. And then we spend all we have. And we can't make any more. So we put it on credit. <laughs> Our covetousness never ends. So let's lament. Let's lament. God, why can't I just be content? Why can't I just be content with what I have? With what you've given me? So I'm a cheap person by nature. I don't spend a lot of money. But my problem is when I do buy something, I want to buy the best. So let's say I, we need to buy a TV. Like I just won't forever <laughs> until the TV literally doesn't work anymore. We went years with our TV with a line going down the middle of the TV, like uh, like the I don't know, like the computer chips or whatever, but the pixels behind the TV were broken or something. There's just this like one inch thick line going right down the middle of the TV. And we went for years and it was actually my father-in-law who visited and he said, how can you live like this? So he bought a TV for us, but uh, we just won't buy one. We'll put it on, like my computer, the D key doesn't work. It hasn't worked for six months. So I don't just, if I like, I have to press it really hard for the D to work or if I really need a D and it's not working, I'll, I'll go somewhere and I'll copy and paste the letter D from a website and then I'll copy and then paste it. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, I'll make do. I'm like, uh, I'm like, like I live in the depression, right? I'll make do for as long as I can. But then when it's time to buy one, I'm all in. And that's where my covetousness really sets in. So it's like, oh, like we really need a, we, we don't need anything, but we'll get a, let's get a 55 inch Vizio from Walmart. <laughs> Whatever. And then you go and you're like, well, I don't know, let's get the 65. And, uh, oh, this one's a QLED. Oh, it's Samsung. That's more expensive. But I mean, 
We're already spending 1400 Why not get the 75-inch? You know, it's only 1900 If we're going to do it. And if you're already spending 1900 you, you know, like, let's just, uh, I want it to last. I want it. So let's just get the better. And you go, and you know, we'll do buy now, pay later. And with buy now, pay later, it's only like $300. <laughs> so we've gone from a, a $700, 55-inch TV, which is more than sufficient. And a couple of years ago would have been miraculous. Right, a flat screen TV compared to the big bulky TVs that you used to have, right? So we're spending 700 bucks to, you know, now like over $2,000 with tax. And we don't even really need a TV at all. So we could have spent zero. So we're out two grand. Why can't I be content? And what is going to happen to our country when this house of cards of debt can't survive anymore? How long can this go on? What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But here, here I am making it about the country. It's about me. What is this covetousness, covetousness doing to me? And I'm not even aware of the depth of it. I don't want to covet. In, in a minute here, I want to give you some visuals to help you with this. When I notice I'm stuck in covetousness, these visuals help me realize how ugly it is and help me snap out of it. We'll do that in just a few minutes. As always, we always solve these problems, right? We go deep in the lament, but then we got to bounce back out of it. So we'll, we'll, we'll resolve all of this in a minute. First, let me give you a uh, historical and then biblical Example of this while James is sleeping and quiet right now. Uh, first, we'll do a historical. I mean, we could do a billion historical examples of covetousness. Goodness, it's the human condition. It's just right, we need more and more and more and more and more. We'll go to war for more. But here's an especially weird one. People so covet youth. Today, check out this sentence. The global Facial injectable market size was valued at $16.1 billion in 2021. The global facial injectable market, that's Botox. Do you ever think, but like that's that the, those words together. The global facial injectable market. <laughs> People getting Botox to smooth out wrinkles. Global facial injectable market. Those are words that just sound funny together. A friend of mine needed some surgery on 
the back, the inside, how do I wear this? Inside back of her neck. So I think like back of her neck, like her spinal cord, but had to go up through the front of her throat in order to do something with the spinal cord, right? And insurance doesn't like to cover this procedure. You have to fight insurance to cover it because so many people get it as a form of com cosmetic surgery to make their neck longer. So like this person actually needed it for medical reasons, but most people just do this surgery on their neck to make their neck look longer. So they're like messing around with your spinal cord. The lengths people go to today as they covet beauty. But it's nothing new. Back in the day, you know what people used to do? They used to drink gold. Liquid gold. So back in the early 1500s, Diane de Poitiers, she was one of King Henry II's lovers and advisors. She drank this concoction of gold. Liquid gold that was pitched as a cure-all. When it was really a cause-all, <laughs> it would cause a lot of problems. She died of it, of course. It was toxic. You can't drink gold. I right, check out this sentence. Pope John, or Pope, uh, John the 21st in 1578. This is a recipe he came up with. This is a youth-preserving water. You take gold, silver, iron, copper, steel, and lead filings. That's good. Place the mixture, quote, in a urine, in the urine, of a virgin child on the first day. That was you a couple weeks ago, James. Then white wine, fennel juice, egg whites, a nursing woman's milk, red wine, then again an egg whites. It's got to be in that order. And you do that for six days. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's like a witch's potion. But that's a youth-preserving toxin. People will do anything to get what they covet. I covet youth. What do I have to drink? Hand it over. No problem. This says the urine of a virgin child on the first day sounds delicious. We want to covet so badly. It's so in our nature that if the thing we covet is unattainable, we'll just sit around and be miserable. Instead of being content, we will choose to be miserable. That's how much we love to covet. And we are just missing out on the joy that God is telling you to have. So I'll give you a biblical example. There's many stories, of course, too, but this is a classic King Ahab. This is 870 BC. He was the king for 22 years and he wanted this guy's vineyard. And he was fair about it. At first, the king was, and the king said, in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. That's nice. So the guy who owned the, the vineyard, Naboth, he's like, uh, no, can't do it. He said, this is the inheritance of my ancestors. I can't sell it to you, king. Sorry. Also fair enough, right? This is 1 Kings 21.4. So Ahab went home. The king went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He laid in his bed sulking and refused to eat. So his wife, the wicked Jezebel, came in and said, hey, what's up? Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth. So she wrote a letter to the elders and nobles who lived in that man's city and said, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. 
And they did it. They sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, the king, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth had died, he got up and went to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. He coveted the vineyard, so she killed him. So then God said to Elijah, go to the king and say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Said that to the king. And then concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And of course that happened. When the new king was taken over, he ordered her slaves to throw her out the window. And they did, and she fell down, and horse, horses trampled her. And then when uh, they went to bury her, it says in the Bible, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands because she was eaten by dogs. So don't covet. <laughs> it's ugly, and it ends badly for you. I don't know if you'll end up eaten by dogs, but whatever equivalent, it's not good. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? And there's a list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. But you know what the last one is? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because you're trusting in things and your ability to get more things instead of trusting in God to give you what you need. That's it. You're trusting in things and your ability to get you those things instead of trusting in God. So what's in my control if you don't want to covet anymore? Jesus said, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Got to be on guard about it. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Got to Imagine if there's a store that put that on the front. <laughs> there would be no store that would write that on the windows. Guard against here. Like imagine you go uh, you know, in the storefront window in the mall or whatever. And it says, guard against covetousness. Your life does not consist in the abundance of these possessions. That would be so bad for sales. Be terrible marketing. Then Jesus told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store, I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So he died. Died, and, and, then, and then what? Where'd all your stuff go? So those treasures you had, what good were they? You got to be rich towards God. Revelation 3, 7. Excuse me, three seventeen, To the church in Laodicea. You don't want to be this church. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, you say. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you're rich. Maybe you got a lot of money. 
but you're not rich in the things that matter. You're not. So that's, that's what he says. You, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. Do not need a thing. Hmm. But you're not rich. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Watch out. You can't take it with you. First Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Hmm. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jeremiah 2.5, this is my great fear. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. That's such a good one. Oh, it's such a good line. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Being rich isn't sinful, but thinking that that kind of wealth is what really matters, that's the problem. So are you rich in the things that matter? So what do we do? What do we do tonight? What do we think about? I want to go to sleep uh, soundly, peacefully. Slater. So help me. Help me get rid of the anxiety. Two final thoughts to leave on. And I love these visuals so much. I wanted to start the show with them, but I decided to keep them to the end as well, precious gems for you who made it through the entire podcast. You don't just give this type of stuff up front to people who are just passing through. It's for the people who earn it. So first we'll do one on, on what not to be like. So Spurgeon has this visual for covetousness and how it turns you into a slave. I've always loved the expression, uh, the question, do you own things or do things own you? I like that. There. That's good. Do, do you own things or do things own you? So Spurgeon has this visual of how hunters used to catch gorillas. I don't know if this is true or not. Doesn't matter. It's probably not true. <laughs> I don't care. It's a metaphor. So the gorilla would walk through the jungle and you'd come across this clear box. And inside the clear box was corn. And there were these two holes that he would stick his arms through. So stick your arms, stick his arms through the holes of this clear box and grab the corn. And once the gorilla grabbed the corn, he would try to pull his arms out of the box out of the holes, but the corn was bigger than the holes. So his arms were stuck. Now all he had to do was let go of the corn and he could pull his arms out as easily as he put them in. But the gorilla would refuse to let go of the corn and he kept trying to pull his arms out of the holes, but it wouldn't, wouldn't work. So his arms were stuck and then the hunters would come and do whatever they do, capture him completely and and there was no going back from that point. Spurgeon said, are covetous men then so like to beasts? Let them ponder and be ashamed. Are covetous men then so like, like that gorilla? So stupid is that gorilla? But it's not other men. It's about you. It's about me. Spurgeon's saying, Slater, are you so covetous that you're as dumb as that gorilla? Ponder that and be ashamed. Hmm. So I think about that all the time, that visual. Now let's do a positive. So my pastor, Matt Smith, Barabbas Church in San Diego, he gave this imagery of, of when you tell a kid to go pack for a vacation. Right? You're, let's say you're going on a weekend trip or a week vacation and go tell your five-year-old to pack. Go pack for the trip we're going on. And they take their cute little Spider-Man suitcase or a grocery bag or whatever. And what do they fill it with? Right? You tell a kid you're going on a, a let's say, a week-long vacation. Go pack. What do, they, what do they bring? They bring a rock, a marker, broken crayon, 
Stuffed animal, of course. Some like broken piece of plastic from some toy you didn't even know you owned or like like the propeller of an old Lego helicopter or something. And they throw it in a bag and that's it. And they're off. That's their, they packed. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Because your kids are fully dependent on you. And they know it. And that's good. And that's how we need to be with God. Fully dependent. Think of the alternative. You told your your five-year-old, go pack. We're going on a week-long vacation. Imagine if they packed everything perfectly and that they were terrified that they needed that they needed everything because they didn't think that you would take care of them. They didn't think that you would pack properly. That would be awful. You would say, son, don't you know that I'm, I'm your parent? I'm your dad. Don't you know that I will provide for you? I love you. I'm going to bring you clothes. I'm going to make sure you have your toothbrush. I'm going to make sure that we bring your favorite book and a puzzle to play on the way. And when we get there, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to make sure we bring what you need to be safe. We are like that child. So scared that our heavenly father won't provide for us that we think we need to pack for our own lives or else we're doomed. And God's like, don't you know that I love you? got you and we're like no i gotta pack everything i gotta pack it all myself it's all up to me god's like no whoa he promises us that he will never forsake you at least four times hebrews 13 5 let your conversation be without covetousness be content with such things as you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Forsake means to quit or leave entirely, to desert, to abandon, to depart from. Why would you covet when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? What more do you need? What more do you possibly need? Well, you must not believe him. That's it. There's this concept, I think it was, was, I think it was C.S. Lewis, talked about temporary atheist. You may think you're a Christian or a live Christian idea, whatever. But then if you, someone just took a snapshot of your life, They'd be like, oh yeah, he's acting like an atheist. Surely he's an atheist. Do you believe? The, when God says, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you, do you believe him? Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, from the Deuteronomy clip, uh, quote, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. First Chronicles 28, 20, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged of building the temple. Do the work for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. So four examples of God saying, I will not forsake you. Do you believe him? And this promise can be cashed in over and over and over again. When you cash a check, no matter how much the check is for no matter how big the check is. You can only cash it once. But this promise you can cash in every day, forever. Believe him. Believe him. Believe him. Believe what he says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Believe him. I don't know. We want to like outsmart him or something. I don't, like, I don't know what our problem is. I'll end with this last version. So again, think of the gorilla. Don't be as dumb as the gorilla. 
Instead, be as simple as the child packing for a week-long vacation. So this is Spurgeon. I've heard of a Sunday school teacher who performed an experiment, which I do not think I shall ever try with Sunday school children, for it might turn out exactly as it did in this case. He had been trying to illustrate what faith was, and he could not get into the minds of his children. So he took his watch, and he said, I will give you this watch, John. Will you have it? John fell thinking what the teacher could mean and did not seize the treasure. He like, hmm, what is it? What's he up to here? He said to the next boy, Henry, there's the watch. Will you have it? The boy replied, no, thank you, sir, with a very proper modesty. He went by several boy. Take the watch. Do you want the watch? I'll give you the watch. Do you want the watch? And every boy said no. Till at last a youngster, who was not so wise or thoughtful as the others, but rather more believing, said, thank you, sir, and put the watch into his pocket. Then the other boys woke up to a startling fact. Their companion had received a watch, and they had not. One of the boys inquired of the teacher, is he to keep it? Of course he is, said the teacher. I put the watch before you and said that I gave it to you, but none of you accepted it. Whoa, said the boy. If I had known you meant it, I would have taken it. And all the boys were in a dreadful state of mind to think that they had lost the watch. Each one cried, I did not think you meant it. Each one said, oh, please, teacher, I thought, I thought, but I thought you, oh. Each one had his theory. Except the simple little boy who believed what he was told and got the watch. Spurgeon says, I wish that I could always be such a simple child as literally to believe what the Lord says and live by that belief. If you believe him, there's no need to covet. And while everyone else around you covets, your contentment will shine. Right, James? He's sleeping. I don't want to wake him. He's very content right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving the five-star review and a little comment. Just like a one line. So, and like, what's up with the guy? I got, I've got a couple of these. Love the podcast. Oh, it's, it's so good. I, unbelievable. It's one of my favorite things I listen to. At four stars. <laughs> it's like, man, just give the five. What do you like? They're free. No one, no, listen, maybe I respect it. Never respect the leaving the fifth, but I just, no, I don't respect it. Leave the five stars. It just, do a guy a solid here, huh? I covet, I covet the fifth star of yours. See, that's James. You hear James? It says, give daddy the five stars. All right, we got to get out of here. Have a superb day. Thank you for listening. Politics by faith. Mike Slater and James. <laughs>